Time keeps on leaving and we keep on moving. When do we pass on our wisdom to the youth? My veteran story lost our discussions. Fireside chats with the bourbon or two. It's time to hear the story by military veterans. Get yourself ready. It's the Lost Arts Podcast. The Lost Arts with Andrew Cox. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Lost Art Podcast, that podcast that's given a voice to our veterans. On today's episode, we have Marine veteran Joe DeVia, Master Gunner Sergeant, retired. But before we get into the My Veteran Story segment, are you enjoying this podcast? Then consider being a TLA patron. That's right, a Lost Arts patron. It is with donations that we are able to continue recording these podcasts and getting our veteran community's voices out for all to hear. Just go to the Lost Art website and click on the Become a Patron link. Any donation is appreciated. If you would like to be a special guest on the podcast and tell your story, then email me at the lost art with Andrew Cox at gmail.com. That's the lost art with Andrew Cox at gmail.com. All right. Without further ado, please welcome Master Gunnery Sergeant Retired Joe DeVilla. Joe, how are you doing today? Hey, it's excellent. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast, man. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got to say. I, I've known you for, for what, a couple of years now, I guess. Uh, but every time I t- chat with you, I always get some great stories from you. So I'm very excited. Okay, man. It's my first time doing something like this. So I'm pretty stoked to, you know, you know be uh, on your show here and, and see how it goes. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, let's, let's start at the beginning for you. Like what, what was it that prompted you to join the Marine Corps and, uh, what was that process like for you? Yeah, so uh, this this actually I, I tell this story a lot. I definitely used to tell it to the younger Marines uh, when they were looking to join, uh, or or when they were just getting to the schoolhouse down here at Damneck. Um, you know, I was a kid from Brooklyn, New York. I wanted to get out of New York City. Uh, my whole family still lives in New York City, so uh, for me it was kind of you know getting away from you know the the hometown area there and, and seeing a life bigger than Brooklyn. Right. Uh, so I was sitting in Earth Science class one day. And uh, this guy comes, sits behind me, a very friend of mine in earth science class. And then he's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm joining the Marine Corps. And, you know, it kind of clicked to me. I was like, you know, I never thought about that before. But that sounds like a pretty interesting thing to do. Right. Uh, yeah. I was 15 years old. Uh, so it took me about another two years to be able to, uh, you know, actually enlist. But I hung out at the recruiting station for about a year. Uh, you know, helping them, you know, with calls and interviewing people and giving like the little, you know, practice as fab to people. Right. Uh, but right on my 17th birthday, like the day after my 17th birthday, I played hooky from school. I went down to New York Meps, uh, and I enlisted. And it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So down at 17, that's pretty, that's pretty wild. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was 17 years old. Uh, you know, I was a senior at high school. I did probably about a year in the delayed entry program and again, hung out recruiting station throughout that summer. And I left on September 16th, uh, 1996. Wow. And then you went to uh, Paris Island, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit, like your introduction to boot camp there and how, how was boot camp for you? To kind of walk us through that. Yeah. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, my boot camp platoon or my company was actually doing the test crucible. Uh, we were kind of like the test bed before General Kulak kind of went full steam uh, right. with the crucible. So. Uh, you know, that was part of, that was kind of like the end of, of recruit training for me. It was getting a taste of what that would be like for, you know, future, future recruits. But, uh, I don't know. I, I showed up at Paris Island. Uh, it was dark out, right? Uh, you get to uh-huh. the airport and, uh, you know, you get on the bus, you start heading down that way. And I had never been in the South before, never really been out of Brooklyn all that much. So our, the first thing I remember is just the intense heat, like the humidity, mm-hmm. uh, the smell of the moss trees out there. Uh, you know, that was just a new feeling to me. Even in September, it was still humid and hot and miserable. Uh, so, so <laughs> that was, uh, my first taste of, you know, being in the South other than the recruit behind the, uh, the chow hall little line there telling me, uh, asked me whether I wanted grits or, or, or oatmeal. And I had never even seen a grit before. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, right. so, uh, you know, I, I got it. I ate it just because it was kind of one of the things that I could scarf down really quickly. 
the other thing that I was really, uh, I guess, naive to was uh, I'd never seen anybody dip Copenhagen before. Uh, New oh, York really? It's not really a big thing. Uh, yeah. So like, chewing tobacco is not really a, a thing up there. So the whole time I was in boot camp, my drill instructor uh, had this fat lip. And, you know, I was like, thought to myself, like, I bet he gets punched in the mouth a lot. I didn't realize that, like, he was actually, you know, dipping a, you know, chew at that point and swallowing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, joking at the same it down. Time. Yeah, so uh, that was funny. Uh, but uh, the biggest thing that I remember from boot camp uh, really is uh, I broke my foot uh, on that, like, test crucible, uh, and it was like the 10-mile hump back uh, is when I, I, I felt pain in my foot, but I didn't really actually realize that I broke it until I took my boot off when they were checking blisters afterward. Uh, oh, you know, wow. I made it back, uh, but, uh, you know, the, I couldn't get my boot back on my foot after I took it off. It swelled up, uh, so I wound up having to go to medical. And, uh, you know, my biggest concern was, am I going to be able to graduate? Yeah. And, uh, you know, senior drill instructor told me I finished the crucible, so I was going to graduate. Uh, so I wound up coming back to Paris Island on medical hold, uh, which is uh, interesting, right? Because that's a blessing in disguise, even though I didn't feel like it. I went yeah. on my 10 days of boot camp leave, uh, and then I went back to Paris Island for four months to rehabilitate. And, uh, you know, being around the caliber of NCOs that I was around, being around, you know, just the, the drill instructors down there and being able to call them sergeant and listen to them, you know, have them mentor me and, you know, teach me how to, you know, iron my uniform, roll right. my sleeves, stuff like that. Uh, I felt like I got to edge up on a lot of my peers, but the yeah. biggest thing I got an edge up on, and I didn't mention this up front, but I came in open contract. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. When I came in the Marine Corps, they didn't have the, I wanted to be an Intel professional and they didn't have that job available to me. Uh, so I came in open contract and the whole time I was going through boot camp, everybody thought I was crazy, right? Cause you know, they'll ask like, who's MOS is what? And people would raise their hands and they were like, who came in open contract? It was me and another, you know, goofball that did that, right? And, uh, yeah. you're like, you guys are crazy. You don't even know what job you're getting. <laughs> so, uh, when I, when I went back to, uh, Paris Island to rehabilitate and back of my head, I was like, I remember when they did that moment of truth, you know, that last moment where they give you to, to, to tell whether you did drugs or not. Right. They yeah. have recruiters come in to do that. Um, and I was like, there's recruiters here at receiving. And I bet if I could get down there and kind of, you know, make friends with one of them or, or do something uh, to catch one of their attention, maybe they'll help me out. So uh, while I was on hold, they would kind of farm us out to the different entities down there on Paris Island to do working party stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, was able to get myself situated where I wound up in the office where the recruiters were for the region uh, and I would take out their trash and, you know, they would try to you know talk to me and mentor me and this, that, and the other. And I let it go for about a week and then bam, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm open contract. Can you guys get me Intel? And within a day, no uh, I had a, yeah, I had a school seat. Uh, and I was like that New York hustle helped me out just a little bit, <laughs> you know, here. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my boot camp story. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have uh, probably gotten the MOS, uh, that I got had I not broke my foot and went back to Paris Island. Yeah, absolutely. There's no telling what you'd have been doing, but that's, yeah. that's, uh, you started out early with that hustle and that really just behind the scenes and talking to people and networking and stuff like that. You started early, man. Right. Uh, precursor to things I would do later on in my career. But uh, I think, uh, you know, every time I go home, uh, you know, I see some you know, teenagers in New York or whatnot. I'll let them know, like uh, being a teenager growing up in New York, uh, you're, you're very fortunate because you get to work with a lot of different people. Yeah. You get to go to school with a lot of different people. You get to make friends with a lot of different people and everything's a network. Um, so folks, I feel like they come in from the inner city. Uh, they tend to do really well if they're able to kind of discipline themselves and, and, you know, work in the, in the lines of, you know, what the Marine Corps provides you to work in. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So then at this point, uh, your leg or your foot heals up and then yeah. you go to, uh, Intel school. Right. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so you know, went to MCT at you know, Geiger. Uh, that was a little awkward because, uh, you know, I was down at Paris Island. I was working in the chow halls here and there. Yeah. Uh, so I was recognized by a lot of the recruits that were down there uh, when I showed up. And I had time and grade on these guys. And, you know, back in your first enlistment, if you've got three or four months on somebody, that's a big uh, deal, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> senior, senior PFC, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, a good time. Went through uh, MCT and got done with that and then showed up to Dan Neck. Uh, the okay. first thing I remember about Dan Neck was this, it was a fire alarm my first night there, and I had no idea where I was going or what to do, so that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Siege wandering around. 
Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, and how was Intel school for you? Did you, uh, did you find it easy? Was it difficult? Uh, Intel school, uh, you know, uh, you know, what do you call somebody who graduates like last in their class at medical school? Well, I'm assuming you're saying a doctor because. Right. Know, and that's yeah. exactly how I would, <laughs> I would describe myself in Intel school. Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I went through Intel school. I definitely was at the top of the class. In fact, I was, you know, I was lucky to graduate. Uh, I, it, it took a lot. Uh, for me to focus, my high school life was a little different than my Marine Corps uh, trade school life. So trying to, you know, understand some of the concepts in the fire hose that we were getting taught right. uh, was rough. Uh, but I made it through and I, I was pretty stoked with that. Um, the thing I remember about Intel school the most, and he wound up being a really close friend. Uh, it was a Lance Corporal there uh, and he was a student. Uh-huh. And the guy had like two rows of ribbons, he was bald, uh, old. You know, for for a Lance Corporal, he must have been, I think, 32 or something like that. Wow. Uh, and I, I remember the first time I looked at him, he's like, hey, I'm the guide here. And I, I looked down, I was like, okay. And in the back of my head, I was like, man, what do you have to do to get promoted to corporal? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we'll never make in, it. <laughs> I'm never going to make it here. Right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, come to find out, you know, he had uh, changed services once or twice. He'd been in the Navy and I think uh-huh. the Army prior. Uh, so he was a Lance Corporal walking around a hash mark, and I was like, "Why did you, you know, do this? I mean, you're an NCO yeah. in two different services." And he's like, "I always wanted to be a Marine, and and this is where I'm at." Uh, so he was great, great mentor. Uh, I ran into a lot of great people at the school. Um, interestingly enough, one, what my platoon sergeant, uh, she was a um, lat mover from a different MOS, <clears throat> uh, going through as a uh, you know, just a, she was a sergeant at the time. Right. And she was an incredible mentor, uh, while I was there as well. But leaving there, I actually ran into her later on down the road at drill instructor school. She was a staff sergeant. Now I was a sergeant. We were both going to school together again. Very nice. Uh, so you know, just a lot of great mentors, uh, along the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then how long was the school for you? Uh, school was about three months long. Uh, it was on hold for two months. So I spent probably about five months in, uh, Virginia Beach, and man, that was a hardship tour during the summer. Let me tell you. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> compared to some of the other folks uh, with with schools in different areas, but uh, you know, I really enjoyed my time uh, at, at Damneck. Uh, made some some great lifelong friends there, uh, but was really happy to get out of there and head out to the operating forces afterward. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, where did you go first once you left there? Uh, so went to Tenth uh, Marine Regiment out at Camp Lejeune. Okay, uh, I was the uh, intel clerk there. Uh, and that was only for a short period. I was there for about a year, maybe a year and some change. Uh, I got promoted to corporal and, uh, you know, there was kind of an overage in the office and they were trying to get the artillery battalion stood up with S2 shops. Uh, okay. so I wound up getting promoted to corporal and moving down to a battalion very quickly as the S2 chief. Uh, oh, but nice. I was kind of, you know, one of one there. Uh, yeah. so being the S2 chief really didn't, you know, I was, just, I was just in charge of Intel <laughs> for right, the most yeah. part because there were definitely no people under me. <laughs> so uh and then while you're there you're just kind of uh as the intel you're you're gathering information passing information along to the to the battalions and stuff like that correct yeah at the regiment yeah. level a lot of you know security management uh you know while we're in garrison this is all obviously pre-9-11 so right, yeah. uh, you know doing a lot of uh intel administrative functions uh i mean you know the Intel piece was not very active at that time there, but I'll tell you the personal growth piece was, was big. Um, okay. I showed up there and again, I'm from New York, right? So I don't have a license to drive. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm stationed at Camp Lejeune now. So there's no place I can go. I'm stuck at the barracks. Uh, the office had set me up to go to Humvee school and, uh, I was like, okay, I'll go to Humvee school. And my, my PSC mind, I thought that I would get a driver's license at Humvee school oh, when no. they gave me my Humvee license. So I wound up going to Humvee school and getting dropped within like an hour. I show back up in the office and they're like, nobody's ever been dropped from Humvee school before. Like, you know, you've got to be the worst Marine ever. Uh, and I was like, I don't have a driver's license, man. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> my staff sergeant, uh, at the time, again, great. I, I was very fortunate, a lot of great leadership. My staff sergeant, you know, kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to drive, uh, in his car. Very nice. <laughs> uh, and, was able to get me my license and then, you know, my payback was to go to Humvee school and actually get the license. Yeah. 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 
Uh, he also helped me uh, edu with education too. He started me on the track to uh, get my, you know, I eventually left the Marine Corps with a master's degree. Uh, that wouldn't have been possible without Staff Sergeant. Uh, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, writing an email and I thought this email was literature and I hit send. And it was like bang and blue mail. It was all caps. It was horrible right back in the day. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I hit send and I kind of sat back and I was like, you know, this is literature right here. You know, I sent it to you know everybody in the office. Right. I heard some snickering and I turned around. It's like lieutenant's like laughing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I want to see what's so funny. So I go walk around and you know laughing at my email. Like I had misspelled there a couple of times. I probably <laughs> didn't use the right punctuation or whatever. And uh, you know, staff sergeant saw me get kind of you know really mad. <laughs> yeah. And he grabs me by the collar. You know, trucks me in the car and he takes me down to the base head center. Uh, and enrolls me uh, in a uh, English class. Nice. Uh, again, without him, uh, you know, I probably, you know, I, I probably would have eventually found my way to college. But he definitely got me started on the right track. Yeah, probably would have been a little bit longer. But yeah, <laughs> well, that's that's good that he started you out young, and it's good that he grabbed you by the collar and just drug you down there and said, "Hey, you're going to do it." So yeah. yeah, that's awesome. He never wanted to make a lieutenant laugh again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's a that's a wise decision, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, OK, so uh, at that point, uh, how long were you there? I was at the, the regiment level for about, like I said, about a year, okay. uh, maybe a year and a half. I uh, did a couple of exercises, no real deployments, uh, anything like that. Um, and then, you know, I got promoted to corporal and they, they moved me down to the battalion, um, which yeah. was great. I was kind of chucked into an organization where I was one of one. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have a choice but to do my job properly uh, because I was the only person in the whole battalion that could do the job. Uh, right. So that experience taught me how to run an office. It taught me how to do you know, administrative tasks well. Uh, it taught me, you know, the importance of, uh, you know, just make sure that as I'm, if I am pushing out analysis, it's not biased. Uh, you know, things of that nature uh, that yeah. normally as a corporal, like you would not interact with a lieutenant colonel directly battalion commander, but I was thrust into a position where I was on the battalion staff and immediately, you know, involved in planning for things. And, right. you know, uh, it was a good experience. Very cool. And then uh, how long were you at the battalion there? There, That was, uh, again, the, the probably the, the last portion of my first enlistment. I got okay. promoted to sergeant when I left there. So probably about a year, year and a half there as well. Um, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, after that I went to, pretty much across the, the river to New River Air Station. Yeah. Um, and I was the uh, battalion, excuse me, the squadron uh, intelligence chief there. It's a different environment. Uh, there I actually had two or three people that were, you know, mine uh, right. that I got to, you know, mentor and, and, and kind of work with. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and I re-enlisted there. That's where I made my decision to stick around for another enlistment, uh, okay. you know, at that, that spot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what was it that drew you to say, hey, I want to re-enlist and, and stay in the Marine Corps? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say that um, it was something really profound, but uh, re reality is that, uh, you know, my MOS, we were offered a pretty substantial bonus compared to others. So that was yeah. something that was lingering over my head. Uh, I got to stay in North Carolina. I got promoted to sergeant and um, I, I had this thought that I was going to be able to go to DI school at some point in time. And I was kind of striving for that. Right. Uh, so I thought a second enlistment would help me get there. Uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I was like, you know, at a minimum, I want to do a B billet, but I hadn't really, you know, put my finger on what it was yet. Yeah. So in, in my head, I thought, okay, I'll do another enlistment and then I'll get out. Uh, my thought was I'll go on recruiting duty, see if I can't get someplace in New York. Uh, and then at the end of that, you know, tour, I would rotate out of the Marine Corps. And, and my thought again was uh, NYPD, uh -huh. uh, you know, in, in the metaverse or whatever my kids call it, like there's a detective Joe DeVilla running around Brooklyn someplace because that's <laughs> kind of, you know, my my, my alternative future, uh, you know, uh, right. I really wished I would have you know been able to kind of devote some time to uh, before I got old and figured out that that's not OK. I can't do that now in my you know late 40s. But uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that, that was my reasoning. Uh, I had the duty station I wanted and I, you know, I thought one more and I, I'd probably rotate out. But, uh, you know, not to skip ahead on you or anything, but probably about no, three quarters of the way through uh, my time, I had been working with the Young Marine program 
okay. uh, which is kind of like a militarized Boy Scouts. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all they've got units all over the country and you know, kind of teenagers uh, as a drug demand reduction program, anti-gang program. And I've been working with that program since I got to Camp Lejeune uh, for an awesome individual named uh, James Jones, uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel, great mm-hmm. mentor. Um, he, uh, he, he was, he took a lot of, uh, interest in my career, uh, cause I was volunteering, you know, working with kids and, and whatnot. Uh, so about halfway through my time at, uh, at the squadron there, I had volunteered to go on recruiting duty, uh, because again, I was planning, I was executing my plan. Uh, you know, right. I, I had my eye on getting to New York. In fact, I interviewed with a sergeant major at RS New York. Uh, was kind of, you know, given a green, you know, green light that, you know, I'd go to recruiting school and, and get selected to come back to New York and, and recruit out of there. Right. Uh, and I saw the orders, the orders popped, naval message popped, and, you know, I was charging down that road, but this, this Chief One Officer Jones guy, uh, from the Young Marine program, he pulls me aside and he's like, Joe, do you really want to go on recruiting duty? And, <laughs> you know, I had, I had really been giving him the, you know, I've been like, man, I can't wait to go out there. I'm friggin', you know, I'm gonna beat the streets. I'm, I'm gonna get a lot of, rec- but, he knew based off my interactions, I'd worked with the kids. I was, you know, pretty much a drill instructor for the kids. Right. Uh, he's like, you probably should be a drill instructor. And I was like, well, I'd love to be a drill instructor, but just the way my MOS was, it was really hard to get out of my MOS to go do B billets like right. that on a voluntary basis. It kind of had to be recruiting duty because they had to give somebody up for that. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of the sacrificial lamb that year. Uh, anyway, long story short, uh, he's like, Hey, you want me to make some phone calls? And I was like, sure, just don't get me in trouble, sir. Please. <laughs> you do like, I don't care. You call. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I went home that night and I was like, Hey, yeah, he's not going to have any luck. You know, he doesn't know my field. It's kind of you know, stringent on you know, letting people go or whatnot. Yeah. Um, I remember the next day I overslept by like 45 minutes, which I never do. Right. I, I never oversleep. Uh, but I showed up in the office and it was like, you know, 815. And uh, one of my Lance Corbels comes up to me and he's like, hey, Sergeant, uh, Chief Officer Jones called for you well, about 0730. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, you must have been told no quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, quick answer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I picked the phone up and I give him a buzz. And, you know, if you know James Jones, he's got, you know, hey, good news or the bad news, uh, you know. So yeah. I was like, oh, well, front me with the bad news, right? What's the bad news? He's like, you got to be there in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so what's the good news? He's like, I got you orders to DI school and I, it was a hot fill. And I think because I had been released to the sergeant, to the, uh, to the special assignments monitor, they were able to do some things with what, you know, B bill that I was able to get on. Yeah. Uh, unbeknownst to, I think my community. And I wound up down at Paris Island. I, my monitor didn't even know I was down there. I was getting ready to leave Paris Island probably about three or four years later and they were doing a road show and I showed up there and he's like, who are you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm Joe DeVilla. He's like, I see you're, show you on recruiting duty. I was like, your, your Excel spreadsheet's wrong, man. <laughs> but yeah, that, I had two weeks to get down there and, uh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, it was, it was fast. I, I, I probably was a lot farther behind a lot of the other people in my class, uh, just because they had time. They knew they were going there. They were uh-huh. kind of getting mentally ready, physically ready. I showed up with about two weeks to prepare. Uh, luckily I was single at the time. So I just took everything I owned out of my barracks, chucked it into my Nissan Sentra and just hauled butt down to Paris Island. Right. <laughs> Got there in four hours, was able to make it. But, um, I know I frustrated my instructors at DI school because everybody, uh, you know, when you go to DI school, a lot of them already have the, the teach backs memorized. People are yeah. like running, you know, 21 minutes. Uh, it took me a lot of catching up to do, uh, to be able to, to, you know, get through that course. And to top it all off, my squad instructor at DI school was, uh, Sergeant Major Troy Black. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, no kidding. Okay. Uh, yeah. That, yeah that, the, the, the standards were high. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. That's pretty wild. So what was your experience like, uh, at DI school and then going into, uh, drill instructor duty itself? What, what were the things that stood out to you? Yeah, I'd love to say that I was like the most awesome drill instructor school student on the face of the earth, but, uh, it, you know, the DI school was a struggle, uh, but I made it through and, uh, you know, I enjoyed, uh, you know, just the people I was with at the school. We still keep in contact with each other, the uh-huh. amount of us that stuck around for, you know, making a career out of it. But I think again, because I only had two weeks really to get my mind set and get down there, uh, you know, everything, like I was learning things as I was going. And right. I wish I had a little bit more time uh, to prepare. 
the school itself was, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was probably one of the best leadership schools I've been through in, uh, in the Marine Corps. And having, you know, the instructors to the caliber that I had, uh, you know, future SAR Major of the Marine Corps, uh, you know, the SAR Major Archie was down there. There's a lot of different uh, people that I would see later on uh, in my career doing awesome things uh, down the road. Right. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Uh, the, the thing that I, I guess – Frustrated me the most when I was at DI school is uh, we all had a chance to pick what battalion we were going to go to, right? Or we right. wanted to kind of go observe with. Uh, and I was picking third battalion. I was a third battalion uh, India company recruit. So I wanted to be third battalion hat. That's right. all I wanted to do. Uh, so I got the t-shirts, you know, you go down to old clothing and issue your t-shirts. I got all my blue t-shirts. I was like, this is going to happen. I'm going to go to third battalion. Uh, and then like the last week of DI school, uh, you know, RTR saw our major came down and like played, you know, uh, spin the wheel with all of our assignments. And I wound up going to second battalion. Oh, and I really? remember having to go down <laughs> to own clothing with all my blue shirts and, uh, trade them back in for the, uh, you know, the, the red and gold shirts, the second battalion shirts. Yeah. And I was like, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world because as much as I want to be a third battalion hat, I got to tell you, uh, being at second battalion was a, was a blessing. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, the people I was with, the leadership there, it was an amazing time. Uh, and I wouldn't have had it any other way in the backside of things. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so, uh, you're at second battalion. What company? I started off at hotel company. Okay. Uh, and I remember this vividly too. So I, you know, you get through a DI school. I had like 30 days of leave uh, yeah. to mess around with. So I took all my leave, uh, went down to New York for a little bit. Uh, came back a week early because I was going to get myself situated again. Right. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of a planner. I like to make sure I'm prepared for things. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of did a drive by of hotel company and I saw the first sergeant out there and I, Went up and I shook his hand, uh, and I was like, hey, first sergeant, you know, I'm coming, uh, you know, I'll be on deck here in about, uh, I'll be checking in in about, you know, four or five days. And he's like, you just shook my hand. You checked in, devil dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of gave him that look like, for real? And he's like, yeah, see you tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, Get settled I said, in. I first sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> said, I first sergeant, got my smoky and I, I, I like showed up the next day and I was working, you know, platoons. <laughs> nice. Wow. And then um, how many uh, platoons total did you end up, uh, cycles did you end up going through? Oh, man. Um, so one, two, three, four, probably about, I think it was eight, eight. Uh, was was my, if I did math for Marines in my head, eight would be it. One of them, the last one, I was a series guns oh, uh, nice. for that. So I had, uh, you know, two platoons uh, in, in the series. There were, it was a winter, winter you know, platoons. So they were all very small platoons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, eight, uh, my one, I wound up going to Charleston airport. Uh, I was the only single staff sergeant in hotel company and we got tagged with Charleston airport liaison. Uh, so I wound up going out to, uh, Charleston for a year, uh, in the middle of my, my time at, you know, Paris Island. And I got, uh, I was the liaison up there. So I would meet the recruits as they were getting off the planes and put them on the bus to go down, uh, to Paris Island. So that was a good time as well. Oh, wow. I, I didn't realize that they uh, had that out there. That's pretty cool. I think it's moved. Uh, my when I was up there, all the recruits would flow in through Charleston Airport, and I think they've moved it down to Savannah now, which kind of negates the need to have somebody permanently up there for the. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else that you can uh, that you can think about when you're a drill instructor? Good things, bad things. Was it a good experience overall? Like how how would you ex- explain to people your experience there? I had a great time. Uh, you know, experiences vary, but uh, you know, for me, uh, I uh, the school environment's not really uh, you know it's odd because I'm an I was an instructor and I I love being an instructor, but the schoolhouse for me is not necessarily my strong suit. I definitely mm-hmm. really liked being in schools, but when I actually got to do the job, I usually would excel and have a great time. Uh, yeah. When I was on Jewel Field, I did one platoon as a fourth hat, one as a third hat. One is a heavy, and then the rest of the time I was a senior drill instructor. Uh, really enjoyed being a senior drill instructor and, and uh, you know, shaping, molding uh, recruits and, you know, getting them through, you know, hardships to, you know, graduation. So it was a great time. Uh, I guess the most significant thing that happened to me while I was on drill instructor duty was not, like, getting off the drill duty with, you know, a uh, successful tour. I actually met my wife. <laughs> oh, okay. On, uh, hey, that's an know, important part. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I met her. She was uh, my company corpsman. Okay. Uh, and, you know, there's something about, you know, being in a safety vehicle and, you know, driving, you know, three miles an hour for 10 uh-huh. miles behind a formation where you get to know the person sitting next to you. And, uh, you know, after I left Paris Island, we started dating long distance and then we got married shortly after, uh, right before I went on my first deployment. Wow. Very cool. So you're taking uh, very romantic uh, cart rides behind the recruits. <laughs> they were not romantic at the time. <laughs> they were definitely not romantic at the time. Yeah, we started dating. Uh, I, I had uh, you know finished my last platoon probably about a week or two before I was supposed to you know PCS out of there, and that's actually when I you know we went on our first date. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, very cool. Well, that's good. That's good. You got to get to know somebody before you know. That's good. <laughs> All right. So uh and now I'm assuming you got promoted in there to staff sergeant at some point. Did you say yeah, you were company I, guns? Uh so I got promoted staff sergeant. Man, I want to say it was like I didn't realize this is how like zoned in I was to graduating the high school. I didn't get my picture taken because I didn't think I was going to be in zone for staff sergeant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while I was at the schoolhouse, they forced everybody to go down and get the picture taken. I didn't realize I was in zone at the time. Uh, so I didn't think anything of it. I show up, uh, back at the barracks one day and the BEQ manager, uh, a young lady and she's sitting there. She's like, uh, congratulations. I looked at her. I was like, well, what are you congratulating me for? I was on my first platoon at this point. I didn't even realize I had gotten selected. And she's like, you're Joe DeVilla, right? And I was like, yes. <laughs> she's like, you're selected for staff sergeant. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that I was in zone. Uh, and, you know, so I, I was like, you know, how'd you get the staff sergeant list? And she was looking for her husband on there because I bet she, uh, he had gotten selected as well. So okay. she was rolling through the names on the list. And she, my first, the first person to congratulate me. To get selected for staff sergeant was somebody I didn't even really know all that well, and I didn't realize that I had gotten selected. Yeah, and probably saying, "Hey, you got to get your stuff and get out." You know, you got selected, yeah. you got to go somewhere else. <laughs> well, you know, interestingly enough, it was probably the most uh, anticlimactic, uh, you know, promotion event I had ever been to. Uh, you know, so my number got called, and again, I was a green belt drill instructor, so it's always like, you know, who's who's on recruits, who's on recruits. Yeah. So they pulled us away during Leatherneck Square. Because uh, it was my month to get promoted, it was like me and three other people. So I was in uh, boots and utes, and uh, you know, roll up <laughs> to the, the company commander, and they promote us on the spot. There's no pinning or anything. We're just standing there in our you know yellow uh, you know shirts and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I walk away, and uh, you know the first recruit that comes up to me, call me sergeant. It's <laughs> like, nope, nobody. I'm a staff sergeant. <laughs> like, uh, so it really threw him for the loop because I wasn't even wearing my blouse at the time. So yeah. I went from sergeant to staff sergeant with no way for them to discern it at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they were really freaking out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that's good stuff. All right, so after drill instructor duty, where did uh, where did life take you then? Yeah, so, uh, you know, not, so backtracking, right? Uh, my first platoon, uh, 9-11 happened. Okay. Um, and I was on, you know, the recruits were in some classes or whatnot. And I remember being, uh, you know, my, my mother, everybody uh, was still in New York at the time. And uh, I remember being hauled around uh, this other guy's pickup truck as we were listening. You know, and then we heard the second, you know, tower got hit. Um, I, that, that kind of changed my outlook. It changed my idea of getting out of the Marine Corps after eight years. Uh, so I did reenlist again, uh, down there at Paris Island. And, uh, when I did get a chance to talk to the monitor uh, as I was leaving, uh, I told him I wanted to go to, uh, you know, Victor Coded unit on the East Coast as soon as possible. And I uh, left Paris Island in 2004 and checked back into Camp Lejeune, uh, to, Tumef, and then from there, I only spent probably about a month at Tumef. Uh, I was, you know, I was supposed to be there longer, but uh, I was able to get myself down to an infantry battalion, uh, and that would be three two. Yeah, I went to third battalion, second Marines. Okay. The S two chief there. Very nice. Now, uh, now that you're there, uh, did you deploy with them or? Yep, sure did. Uh, yep. So they uh, they were actually that that was kind of a hot fill as well. I was at Tumef. And for some reason, they lost their two chief, uh, and they needed a replacement fairly quickly because they were getting ready to deploy within about five or six months. Oh, wow. Um, so I jumped down there, uh, to the, to the section and, uh, we immediately started prepping to go to Alkine, uh, mm-hmm. Malambar province. Uh, right. great relationship with my S2. 
Uh, and again, I mentioned that I got married right before my first deployment. My, yeah. my, uh, S2 was, would eventually be my, my, uh, best man at my courthouse wedding down at Oslo. Cause all good devil dogs have two marriages, right? You've got the That's courthouse right. marriage <laughs> and you've got the family marriage that happens later on down the road. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. So, uh, so you get married now. Did, uh, was she, did she come up to, uh, Lejeune with you at that point or she stayed? Like, where was she at? So she went on to a different school. She went to go on to be a biomedical photographer and, uh, she was going to school in Bethesda, Maryland. And, you know, eventually we, we, you know, when we got married, they cut her orders down to Lejeune Naval Hospital, which is perfect. Uh, but, you know, okay. she got to live in my house before I did because we bought a house or I bought a house. Uh, yeah. We got married and then she wound up moving into it while I was deployed. Uh, <laughs> so when I got back to that deployment, I was looking for all my, you know, Budweiser 40 ounce bottles that I collected over time with Mardi Gras beads and bobblehead like things yeah. and stuff, you know, all the bachelor stuff that I had and was all in a box in the garage. And she had, you know, redone everything. And it was really you know, homie. She made it home. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> she just took all your bachelor stuff and says, we're going to yeah. push this away. <laughs> hide yeah. it somewhere. Yeah. Best time to do it while I was, while I was deployed. That's right. <laughs> I had no say. That's right. Oh man. And then, uh, how was your deployment when you deployed with them? Uh, I couldn't have thought of a better unit uh, to be part of. Third Battalion, Second Marines uh, was a great unit. Was a, was a, uh, I don't think there's a great time to be in Iraq, but being with that unit uh, and the staff NCOs uh, that were part of that unit was amazing. It was a very family. Uh, you know, we, we looked at each other as family. Um, and, you know, the deployment, probably the, the biggest uh I would say driving force on that deployment for us was the, uh, you know, I, I really respected the battalion sergeant major. Uh, he treated everybody, uh, as a, as a, as a tactical unit. Uh, the headquarters battalion folks, or excuse me, headquarters company folks, he, he forced us, uh, into a grunts mindset. Uh, we were nice. getting, give, you know, we were getting classes on sort of weapons and actually, uh, was, it was really important as we did go out, uh, to the middle of Al Qaim, Iraq, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, we were kind of alone and unafraid out there. Uh, did a couple of different operations, Matador, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some other things occurred while we were out there. But uh, it, was a, it was a great deployment as far as great deployments can be mm-hmm. uh, because of the people that I was with and some awesome Marines. And to include my section, I couldn't have had a better group of Marines in my section. Very nice. And then you were, I'm assuming, like uh, about seven months or so on that deployment? Yeah, we were out there for seven months. I uh, got selected for Gunny uh, while I was out there. So okay. uh, I knew that when I got back, they were going to move me. Uh, just, you know, at the, at the time, staff sergeants were battalion chiefs. Uh, Gunnies were regiment chiefs. So I knew right. I had to kind of find myself a new place to go hang my hat immediately. Uh, so I once I got selected for Gunny, uh, we returned, got promoted. And I knew 6th Marine Regiment was getting ready to go out. And that was another, you know, just a historical unit. Yeah, uh, they had a gap for their S2 chief, and uh, I, I started throwing my hat in the ring for that. And I PCS'd, or excuse me, PCA'd from 3-2 to 6 Marines within about four or five months of getting back on deck from that deployment. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and then you were, you said you were the regimental uh, at that point? Regimental yeah, I went to, yeah. yeah, went to 6 Marines, regimental S2. Uh, they were getting ready to deploy. Uh, we went out to Fallujah in 2007. Uh, year long deployment. Uh, you know, so we were, you know, again, really tight knit crew, uh, great boss, great, uh, regimental commander, uh, great sergeant major. Uh, you know, we all, uh, rolled out there. It was pretty volatile up front. Uh, lots of, you know, IEDs and and things floating around the area, but it was kind of right in the middle of the awakening. Uh, when, you know, uh, trying to remember names now, Sheikh Sitar and some of these other folks started coming into play and, you know, AQI started, you know, kind of falling back a little bit. Uh, they were, you know, just being kind of destroyed, uh, Mm -hmm. internally by, by, you know, forces within Iraq. Uh, so by the time I left the area there, uh, we were not having a lot of kinetic activity out there. It was, you know, pretty quiet. Uh, oh, wow. So it was, it was a great deployment. Uh, you know, lots of awesome folks out there. Uh, couldn't have asked for anything better. Uh, that one, that, that deployment actually sticks out to me, uh, more because, uh, you know, probably about three quarters of the way through, I got pulled out early. Uh, I got selected to go to National Intelligence University 
And, uh, you know, I was kind of, you know, battling, you know, myself with it because I wanted to finish the deployment with my Marines, but at the right. same time, I got selected for an opportunity. Uh, and there was a, you know, there was a lot of folks that were rotating in and out, uh, mostly officers, uh, because of, you know, just the way their, uh, career level schools kind of pop up. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them had to depart early. So I had to, I had to leave by August. Uh, and the deployment was not supposed to end until like November, December timeframe. Okay. Uh, and the Sergeant Major came in because I was thinking about, you know, should I defer or whatnot? Sergeant Major is actually the one who's like, no, you go. Uh, you've got an opportunity here to finish your bachelor's degree and you should take it. So I did. <laughs> yeah, very nice. And then uh, that. So what was that program that you were part of? So uh, National Intelligence University. Uh, it's offered to, uh, you know, O2s and 2600s, uh, mostly Intel folks. Uh, but it's a Intel school. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, they provide bachelor's and master's degree. Uh, programs. Uh, so it was really cool uh, to be able to get out there and, and go do that program. I had been working on my education again since that staff sergeant, uh, you know, kind of driving by the collar and bumped me down to the education center. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, upwards of about 12 to you know, 13 years by that point. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. uh, I got the uh, chance to go out to they pretty much take all the credits that you had for your undergrad and you do a year in resident there with them and they give you a bachelor's degree at the end of it. Uh, so that was my 2007 to 2008 year. I was there with them uh, getting my bachelor's degree. And where where did you say that was located? It used to be in Washington D.C. It's now changed uh, to Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. Uh, they have a campus uh, up there, and it's an intelligence community school. Uh, my cohort was me, another Marine, uh, and all the five services uh, represented there. Uh, um, and then. Uh, you know, we also had, uh, you know, different government agencies and tell folks there as well, uh, wow. through their, you know, master degree programs. So great. Uh, you know, that, that in and of itself was probably my first introduction to what national level, you know, government intelligence agency type stuff looked like. It was a good time. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm not a Intel guy, so I guess that would make sense, but, <laughs> 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 but yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so you in, ended up getting your, uh, bachelor's, you said, whenever you left there? Yep. Finished my bachelor's degree, uh, while I was there and I immediately jumped into a master's program with a different university. Uh, but, you know, after I finished the bachelor's degree, it's another move, right? So you go yeah. there for a year and, you know, you had to move again. Uh, so I had already been thinking like, okay, you know, where do I want to go? I got drill instructor duty under my belt, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of combat deployments, and now I've got a bachelor's degree. Uh, some folks had mentioned, you know, hey, why don't you go to OCS? Uh, have you thought about one officer program? And for some reason, and, you know, none of that really appealed to me. Uh, it's kind of a little longer in the tooth. Uh, I feel like being a second lieutenant be in my late 30s uh, yeah. was kind of where I wanted to be. Uh, so I stood enlisted uh, and decided that I wanted to go down to, to Danek to teach. Uh, so that was a great uh, okay. kind of time as well. Uh, was able to link up with some folks that I knew throughout my career that were still down at Dan Neck and kind of get pulled in. Uh, and I wanted to be in the course director for entry level intelligence training while I was there. Oh, very nice. Okay. And then, uh, so you, how long you were there for three years teaching? Yep. Did, uh, three years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I look back at the student population we pushed through. Uh, it was amazing to see, you know, just like the Marines that were coming in, they were very stoked. They all knew, you know, you know deployments were in their future. Uh, it was like 2008 timeframe. Uh, folks were coming in and, and they, they wanted to get busy, uh, in theater. Uh, so we were able to take the curriculum that we had and transition it to be more coin in nature, right. uh, with a lot of the, you know, just experts, uh, you know, just the expertise that we had in the schoolhouse. We were able to transition a lot of the curriculum there to, to that. Uh, to support those deployments that were coming up. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And then, uh, okay. So, uh, what would you say your, your favorite part about being there at the schoolhouse and instructing? What was your favorite part? I love interacting with the Marines. Uh, I really did. Uh, I like teaching my MOS. That was fun. Uh, but I definitely like interacting with the Marines, get them through, you know, uh, you know, courses, portions of the instruction that, you know, might have been daunting for them, uh, trying to figure out ways to, you know, if I saw like, uh, students having a problem with instructions based off the feedback we were getting, trying to figure out how we can take something complex and make it digestible to a brand new, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old PFC coming in the military with zero base of military knowledge. Like how can we take things that are complex and teach it uh, based right. off what they already know? 
Uh, that to me was the, probably the most interesting challenge there. And then, you know, just dealing with people. I, I'm a, I'm a people person. I like, you know, talking to people. I like helping them through things. So, uh, you know, seeing Marines that were struggling, you know, homesickness stuff uh-huh. that, you know, I think we can all empathize with as we we're coming up. Yeah. Uh, and helping them work their way through that to great careers uh, has always been awesome. Uh, I think, you know, for me, as I look back, you know, on the time I spent in, in the Marine Corps, uh, my successes have not really been my successes, especially after that first enlistment, watching, you know, you know, people that I have been able to mentor, mold, uh, provide advice to, seeing them, you know, going to do awesome things uh, has been, you know, probably the, the best portion of, of the career. You know, so as I look at what was like really meaningful to me at Damn Neck during that time frame, it's the same thing that's been meaningful to me throughout my career is just seeing uh, people succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, th- that's a that's a great trait that you have, and and you because you are a people person. Like uh, even whenever I was introduced to you and all that type of stuff, like you, you could tell that you are just you like to be around people, you like to talk to people and stuff like that, and it definitely made it an easy transition for me when I was coming in and meeting people and stuff. So. Uh, I, I think you do a great job at it. Awesome. All right. So after Intel school, what happened with you then? Um, so I got selected to master sergeant. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the Marine Corps was thinking, but they did it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I wound up, uh, you know, as I looked at my career, I, I had done a lot of East Coast time. By all means, I was an East Coast Marine. Uh, and then, you know, the little bit of time that I did at Paris Island, you know, or D.C., uh, you know, so I, I was like, where's the monitor probably likely to send me uh-huh. uh, right now? And uh, I had no Okinawa time. So I knew yeah. uh, that like at some point in time, he'd be thinking about that. So I called him before he had a chance to tell me that he wanted me to go to Okinawa. And I asked, like, hey, I know you're going to send me to Okinawa. All I'm asking is for an infantry division. Can you send me to an infantry division? So I wound up going to, you know, third Marine division uh, after I left uh, Damneck the first time there. Okay. Uh, to be the operations chief at the G2. Nice. Okay. Uh, and how how was your time in uh, Okinawa? Uh, for for me as a as a marine, it was definitely uh, eye opening. Uh, I got to see things from a larger perspective. It was kind of my first time also being assigned to uh, like an 06 level uh, G2. So uh, interactions with senior officers uh, was again one of the first exposures to uh, being in that environment. So. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. One of the things that I thought, um, I guess, uh, you know, we talk about traits and networking and things of that nature. Right. Uh, I had been, when I was done at Third Marine Division, I've been there three years. I had probably about four different G2s, right? Four different like O5s, Row 6s that I had to work with. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, my deputies, I went through probably about five or six of them. One of the things I started to pride myself on was being able to advise a lot of different personalities, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was able to, you know, I'd, I'd have G2s that were like very detail oriented, and then I had G2s that were wave tops, right? Hey, just give me the wave tops, I trust you to execute. And, yeah. uh, or, and you've got folks that are definitely micromanaging, right? And they want to be all up in, in the business all the time, right? So yeah. I'm trying to figure out like, you know, you know, match personalities with all of those as an enlisted Marine, especially if you're looking to be an advisor of any way, you have to be able to mold yourself to the boss, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to force the boss into your mold is not going to work. Yeah. Uh, it creates strife. So, uh, you know, I do find that, you know, after time, you know, I, I, you know, they, no matter who the personality type is, they'll begin to trust you more if you are able to mold to them. Mm-hmm. And then you start anticipating their requirements before they can come up with them. That's when you get into that next level where no matter who they are, you can work with them. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, so I that that was kind of my, you know, my experience at Third Green Division and it helped cast me, uh, you know, going forward, uh, you know, as I did some of the other jobs that I did later on down the road. Yeah. I, and you're you're 100 percent right. It's all about being able to work with somebody, especially as enlisted our job, advise and recommend. You know, that's that's kind of kind of what you got to do. You got to get get in and understand who it is that you're working for and how they operate, you know, so you can advise them uh, based on that. Right. Uh, the folks that I see that struggle uh, doing you know, advisory type work are the folks that are very rigid uh, yeah. or like, well, I do this this way. I'm like, OK, but you're not the boss. And yeah. if you stay enlisted, you have to understand that. Yeah, you know, your authorities are given to you by your boss, right? <laughs> and you, you know, if you are not somebody that they have trust and confidence in, it makes it difficult to be able to execute 
what you're supposed to do as an enlisted professional and take care of your Marines, right? Uh, so for me, uh, understanding my boss, being able to anticipate those requirements, being able to represent him or her well, uh, I saw that as a force multiplier for my Marines because the more credibility I had, uh, the better off their life would be later on down the road, even though they might not have seen the behind the scenes of a lot of things. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and then just being able to, if you have a good working relationship, you know, being able to go in. Sometimes, you know, you get in arguments or whatever with that that officer, uh, you know. But behind closed doors, you work it out and you walk out uh, as a senior enlisted, and it's whatever the idea is and whatever he he said. This is what we're doing. It's the best thing since sliced bread, and we're going to go forth and do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, too. Uh, like, and I, I would tell every boss that I had, you know, whether they were 06, 08, you know, whoever they are, right? My job mm-hmm. uh, from a BAMSIS perspective, right? Like the, the troop leading steps, right? BAMSIS. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm here to advise you up until I, right? You issue mm-hmm. the order and I'm executing and I'm trusting that you've listened to me, right? Yeah. And you've decided. So, you know, good officers, they listen to their enlisted Marines, right? Yeah, they, they listen to their chiefs. Uh, great officers make their own calls because they're ultimately responsible for it, right? Oh yeah. Um, and I, I take that job, uh, the job, my advisory job, uh, you know, the most serious out of, uh, you know, any other position I have, right? In, mm-hmm. in an organization because there's special trust and confidence there. And, you know, you need to be able to step up to the plate and adapt to your boss to be able to get through or to do or perform that job. So, uh, I and Bamsis, and then, you know, I tell them I'm going to come back with updates uh, uh-huh. you know, as we move on past the eye. It might cause you to change your mind, might cause you to stay put, but, you know, I've got your back as long yeah. as the order is legal, uh, you know, yeah. and ethical. Not unethical like, or you know, something. You know, I've got you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important because if if your boss knows that they can trust you to execute, even though you're not doing something that you really thought was a great idea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, later on down the road, I think they'll be more apt to listen to you. And, you know, the other thing I would say, uh, you know, this is, you know, uh, obviously outside of confines is just kind of moving through my career, but, uh, I've noticed that I've never had to tell a boss, I told you so. Uh, yeah. because if something goes awry, usually there's eye contact and we already know. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. The, the other great thing about, you know, being able to advise until that eye is if something does go wrong, they remember what that advice was and they can quickly pivot, right? Like yeah. their, their plan B is, you know, is right there. Uh, and, you know, usually it's just eye contact and execute and things are, things are taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's important, uh, even on our side, to, uh, as you're having those conversations and everything and okay, he makes the decision, but it was a bad decision, uh, not going the right way. We as that senior enlisted advisor have to know, Okay, what were we discussing? The different avenues of approach, and we may have to pivot right away to kind of—I don't want to say save face, but kind of make sure it shifts in the right direction. Right. So, all right. Well, hey, I think this is a probably a good stopping point, and mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll have you back on to finish out the rest of your career and get words of wisdom and some more sea stories from you. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Awesome. Hey, to everybody out there, thanks for tuning in. Stay motivated. Change your socks.